today's scripture reading is Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 to 15. That's Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 to 15. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakoth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good to be with you here this afternoon. Um, last week was very special for us because we installed and ordained two new elders. Uh, a historic landmark in our ministry and two new deacons. Uh, it's just amazing what God is doing. It's amazing what God is doing not only in our individual lives as we follow him, but as we gather together as a church, what he's doing in our church. And today you heard uh, our elder, Elder Sung, come and lead us in a prayer. And when he led us in a prayer, he led us in a prayer also for Aleppo, uh, the people there and Syria there. Uh, there's so much going on and so much information too. Um, what's interesting though is that this journey that we're following with Jacob is he came from Syria. Uh, Haran is Syria, northern Syria. So you can kind of imagine Jacob first being chased away uh, from where he was meeting God at Bethel, and then which is still in the Israel uh, territory. It's right around there. But he traveled over 500 miles 
and I would walk 500, anyway, uh, he traveled over 500 miles to Haran, and then he traveled, and I would walk 500 miles. He literally did that song before the song was written. Um, he went 500 miles plus, and then he came back. But it's so interesting that as we take on the story of Jacob, and it becomes our story, one of the things that really, really was um, uh, convicting to me was what's going on where Jacob was in Haran, in Syria, in Aleppo. And because of this war-torn nation, and especially that city, we see so many horrific things. Jacob managed to escape. He did, in the clutches of Laban. We read about this. Uh, but there are so many who couldn't escape, who can't escape right now. And so my heart really does go out to those people that are suffering. And I hope that we can keep it all in prayer. You're going to hear all sorts of different kinds of news when you're out there. Especially because there's so much misinformation also being plugged in because of political reasons and whatnot. And so the question can come to you, how do you discern between what's real and what's not? How do you discern between what's real news and fake news? How do you really discern? And I have one, just one, it's not an all-encompassing formula, but I have at least one little thing that might help us. And that one little thing is, does it make you more compassionate? Or does it make you bitter? And does it close your heart? I gotta tell you, one of the things that these fake, thing, fake news will do is it'll make you lose hope. It'll make you lose heart. It'll make you question everything, but in the end, that questioning leads to a place of darkness and bitterness. But that's not what God does. God always leads us to a place of hope. So this is how I want to encourage you as we continue on living in such an information-filled world and society today. How do we do it? Uh, I would say, let's look at your heart, you know? Is it becoming more like Jesus? Or is it becoming more hardened? Um, today, I really want to get through this as quickly as I can, only because we have so much going on, and I've really, really struggled with it and prayed about it. Um, we have a congregational meeting afterwards. There's so much on the agenda. And then we have a potluck after the congregational meeting. So I don't want to take too long, but I do know that I really uh, want to um, not miss the main points of what's in this chapter. But I just want to say, if, even if you are not a member of this congregation, you've been coming and visiting for a while, and you've enjoyed Genesis and the sermon series. I have. I love Genesis. And I've heard a lot of you here have really enjoyed Genesis as well. That's great, because I do too. Um, you can still join us for congregational meeting. I just ask that you sit toward the back so we can have a count um, of who's a member, because we need a quorum uh, to do our congregational meeting. So if you want to join in, you are more than welcome to. And I, in fact, I invite you to, to see what our church is doing um, financially, what we're doing with our bylaws as we go independent. I invite you to come and stay with us. Just um, we need to get a quorum of the membership. That's why we ask that you sit toward the back. Um, 
And then afterwards, even if you didn't bring anything for the potluck, join us. We have enough food. And if you don't, we'll order pizza or something, right? And so I think the fellowship is way more important. If you, even if you don't have an ugly uh, Christmas sweater, a bunch of us have a lot of ugly sweaters anyway, and we'll probably give you some. Uh, and just join us for the time of fellowship. And I hope that you can do that today with us. Um, Jacob does something really interesting here. And I, I mentioned that he had come down from Syria, and which was 500 miles. This is a really long trek. And his command was he has to come back and build an altar in Bethel. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. In chapter 33, he stops at Shechem. And chapter 34, what we read about last week, happens. But if you look at the map, the most intriguing thing to me was Haran. Let's say, let's say this is the map of Syria. Syria is about this big, and then Israel is about this big. If we have 500 miles and Haran is here, he traveled all the way down to Shechem, and he stopped there. He pitched a tent. It says in chapter 33, he pitched a tent. But if you look at where Bethel is, Bethel is here. It's right there. I kid you not, you could Google it. He came all the way from Haran, because God commanded him to go to Bethel. I'm going to bless you. I want you to make an altar. Go to Bethel. He goes all the way down, and for some reason he stops at Shechem. But Bethel is right there. Why did you stop at Shechem? Do you remember what happened in chapter 34? Why did you stop there? But this is what a lot of us also face. You know, we know this is the goal. This is where we have to be. This is where we have to go. But a lot of times we fall short and we're just nearly there. We're so close, but we just stop. Not sure why, but we do. And then chapter 34 happens. But praise be to God, chapter 34 is not the end of the story. He tried everything, though. If you look at chapter 33, Jacob tried to even build an altar in Shechem, and he named the altar. He did all these things. Teaches us some things. When God commands you to go to Bethel and you build an altar in Shechem, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, wait, 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 what are, you, what are you saying here? Are you saying that worship, if I worship God, that, you know, I can't worship any way I want to? I don't have the freedom to worship? And the answer is no. No. No, you don't. No, we don't. No, I don't. You cannot worship God the way you want to. You cannot worship God according to your own agenda. Jacob worshipped God according to his own agenda. And what happened in verse, uh, chapter 34 was he was neither a blessing nor was he blessed. Instead, what we saw and what we went through was deceit, rape, mass death. Nothing good came out. He was so close, and yet so far. Haven't we heard that before? Shechem was so close, close to Bethel, 
but it's so far from where God wants us to be. This leads us to my main point. I only have one point today, and that point is when Jacob heard the call of God, God said in, chapter, in verse 1, it said, Arise, go up to Bethel. He said it again. Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. When Jacob heard this call, what he did was he took all the household idols. He went to his household and said, take all your idols and gather them up. Change your clothes. And what we're going to do is we're going to bury these idols and then we're going to go to Bethel. What that does is the first time this has ever happened in Jacob's life happens right now. Maybe it's because of what happened in chapter 34. Maybe that's one of the reasons, but... What happens in chapter 35, verse 2, is he has a repentant heart. Repentance is when we turn around from where we are and we turn to God. And this really will challenge, I think, more of the contemporary thinkers of our generation. Wait, repentance means you have to do something? I thought the gospel was free. I thought the gospel was free. Why do I have to do something? So that there's this kind of disconnect between the gospel and repentance. But we have to remember all throughout the Bible, it's not just here, but all throughout the Bible, even when Jesus comes, he goes, the time is near. The kingdom of heaven has come. Repent and believe the good news. He tells people to repent too. I see it like this, and I'm going to ask someone to come up and help me demonstrate. My brother, wouldn't you come up? Um, let's say, let's say, Chunsak is Jesus, right? He's wearing red, very festive, very good. Uh, and Jesus was a carpenter, lumberjack, so it fits very well. So right here. And uh, Jesus has the water of life. He is the water of life. Let's say he has this water. I really want water, right? And Jesus offers me water, right? And he says, here's water. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm really thirsty. I would love some water. Can you give me the water, Jesus? Give me the water. Jesus, give me the water. Jesus, why aren't you giving me the water? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? I have to turn around. Turning around is part of the life of faith that we are called to. Faith and repentance are different, but they go hand in hand. Faith and trust, because I, now I know I can lean on him. I can trust in him. I can take what I need from him, and I know that I can receive all the things that I need. Jesus is right there, and he's such a good, he's so good looking, right? And then he's right there, and he has what I need. But I first need to turn around. Faith and repentance go hand in hand. They're different, but you cannot separate the two. Let's give Chunsuk a hand. Thank you very much. And people will come. So how many good works do you need to do to be of saving faith? And you're like, what? Well, you just said you need to do something, didn't you? So how much good work do you need to do to have this saving faith? And the answer is some. Some. Because they go hand in hand. You cannot separate the two. Um, 
The question that is posed to many of us today isn't how do I know that Christ died for people's sins and that he will save those who believe in him? How do I know that God will come to save? That's not really the question that our generation has. The question rather is how do I know that I truly believe? How do you know that your faith is a saving faith? How do you know that you truly believe? And that is you need to turn and receive the gift, the gift that Christ gives us, but the gift that is Christ himself. And to do that, what we have to do is we have to first repent. And what Jacob does is Jacob, he takes, he takes all his household and he goes, let's get all our foreign gods, all our idols. And back then, we, we may think of it like this now, but it wasn't thought of it like back then. Back now we see, oh, little idols, those are the little things that you might whittle. And then, you know, if you ever visit a foreign country, you might buy those little statuettes that you buy. That's an idol. No, that's not what they're depicting here. That's not what the Bible ever depicts. They're not little strange gods, but what they are are things that are man-made that we turn into ultimate things. Idol worship is when you put your life and meaning on one thing or anything. It could be a good thing, but you make it more than God. Whatever we build our life around, what happens in the end enslaves us. Maybe there was fear in Jacob. That's why he couldn't get out from Shechem. Maybe that fear of being accepted followed him all throughout his life. And even in Shechem, that affected him. That's why he acted the way he acted. And even when his daughter was raped, he was just worried about the consequences of that might happen to him. But that idol is whatever we build our life around. Maybe it's money. You know, when we don't have money, what happens? Doesn't your whole life start shaking? That's all you can think about. And the question is, has it become an idol? Is it about acceptance? Is it about money? Is it about success and reputation? How people look at you? If people treat you bad? You know what? There's one thing I can't take. And that's when someone looks down on me. I've heard that. I'll take anything. You know, I don't rely on anything. I only have one thing. If you look down on me, that's it. That's a no-passer. Why? Isn't it because you don't want to be stepped on? But more than that, perhaps people lifting you up, your image is your idol. These things is what Jacob said. We need to gather all these things and get rid of them. We need to not misappropriate our love anymore, our affections anymore. In fact, our trust cannot go in these things. We need to trust in God. Because what happened when Jacob and his family trusted in these foreign gods? What happened when they didn't rely on God? There was undue anxiety. There was obsessiveness. There was envy. There was anger. There was how it manifested in family infighting. Um, people's lives being not just torn apart, but decimated. 
But what the real, what the truth is, this is the truth, it happens that way every time you follow an idol. Every time we decide not to make God the ultimate, but something else, every single time. So God calls us to repentance. I guess um, we can have this argument then. Maybe if God calls me to repentance, you know what? It's like smoking. Can't give up smoking right away. It's really rough. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, uh, instead of smoking the five packs I smoke a day, I'm going to lower it down to three packs. And then maybe eventually after 16 years, two packs. That kind of thing. Uh, some people think repentance is like that. But it's not. Repentance is not like if someone stole. Let's say someone was stealing. And then they became a Christian convert. They're like, you know what? I believe in Jesus. I repent of my ways. I used to steal. And the person counseling, they said, the pastor was counseling. And the pastor said, how much did you steal over the past year? I said, oh, I stole $15,000 from my employer. I mean, he doesn't know about it, but I just kind of put it in my pocket every now and then and erase it from the books. $15,000, that's a lot of money. He's like, I'm glad you converted and started to believe in Jesus Christ. I'm glad you want to repent. So this is what I recommend to you. Because you stole $15,000 this year, next year, just steal only $10,000. And then the year after, steal only $5,000. And eventually, three years later, boom, you're good, right? That's, this is how you should live. Uh, and if your employer catches you, just tell them, oh, I'm, I'm being converted, so this is going to take some time. I just want you to understand. Jesus is Lord, guys. And then you just, will that work? And the answer is no. In fact, in Ephesians 4, 8, 428, it says, let the thief no longer steal. We'll get a little more serious here. Let's say you get drunk and you come home to your wife and you beat her. Once a week, in your anger, you're drunk, you don't know. And then after you become converted, after you see the light, after you see Jesus, after God puts a call on your life and says, go to Bethel, you go, you know what? I used to beat my wife as I got drunk. I used to be angry. I used to emotionally, physically abuse her. But I'm not going to do it once a week, once a month. And then you know what? After a while, I'm going to only beat her on anniversaries and maybe some Christmases. What if that was your response? And some of you are giggling because it's so ridiculous. When we have a deep sin in our life, especially when we hold something so precious and so we lift it up to the ultimate state, that idol, when you believe in Jesus, must come down. And that is what repentance is. Must come down. And this is what Jacob does for the first time in his life. And interestingly enough, this is finally when he made a full circle. But he didn't complete that circle, right? He stopped at Shechem. He needed to go to Bethel. But to make that full circle, you need to repent. Uh, Dio Moody said, Christian growth is gradual, just as physical growth is. But a man passes from death unto everlasting life 
quick as an act of will. Oswald Chambers says this about repentance. The salvation of God does not stand on human logic. It stands on the sacrificial death of Jesus. Sinful men and women can be changed into new creatures by the marvelous work of God in Christ Jesus, which is prior to all experience. When we believe in Jesus, it's not you that's doing the work to change. This is what we have to believe. You have to go to Bethel. So what we do is rely on God's power for that drastic change in your life. Otherwise, it's impossible. It's impossible. You know, even if you decide to do, you know, from five packs to three packs to two packs, you'll get right back on. Unless you have a repentant heart. Unless you drastically change in your mind, body, and soul. And for that to happen, you need to rely on Jesus. That's why I'm saying repentance and faith, they are different, but they go hand in hand. When you see repentance, you see faith in action. That's why James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? He's asking a rhetorical question because the answer is no. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I take it to mean in this Christmas season, if you just say Merry Christmas, that's not the end all. People are celebrating. Oh my goodness, I want to say Merry Christmas. That makes me a strong Christian. If you say Merry Christmas and do nothing else, that's the same thing as saying go in peace, be warmed and filled and doing nothing for that person's needs. This is a challenge to every single one of us out there. This season, when we say Merry Christmas, what do we mean by it and what are we doing? That's what it means to have faith and works. That's why it goes hand in hand. And once we realize this, not just for self, but for our church, for our church, and right after this, we're going to look at our finances, where we put uh, the money um, where it really goes and we see that we really as a church we really want to put it in missions and we really want to help those that don't don't have um that's what happens in the heart of repentance you know jacob goes and he finally at the end in the middle of uh chapter 35 finally completes that journey but the end signifies a new beginning God says to Jacob, your name shall be called Jacob. No longer shall be called Jacob, but Israel will be your name. You know, he said that before. He said that in chapter 34 when he wrestled. Uh, but he says it again. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to bless you again. You know, he blessed him before, but he blesses him again. Um, these things he is doing now that Jacob has completed the circle. He is doing it because he is signifying to Jacob, now you have completed this journey, I'm going to give you a new journey, a new beginning. And I think it's perfect, uh, very spirit-led, that our church, we are coming toward the end of an EM journey. No longer will we, we be called English ministry, pilgrim English ministry, but we will be called see Jesus, CGS, right? Uh, that's what we will be called. And we are starting a new journey. But before we start the new journey, 
we have to remember what the Bible teaches us. Repent. Martin Luther, when he uh, hammered that 95 thesis on the Wittenberg Hall wall, was um, the first one was we as Christians must live a repentant life. We are constantly turning back to the Lord because what we want to do is we constantly want to turn away. So I need to turn back. So that's why we have a time of repentance and confession every time we gather. My friends, we are nearing an end of a journey. And God is granting us a new one. Let's not forget. We must have repentant hearts individually and as a church. What is the Holy Spirit leading you now to pray about, to come to him for, for supernatural strength so you can overcome the idols in your life, so you can lay it down and finally bury it? What is the Holy Spirit leading you to do? Let's pray together at this time. And I want you to really ask the Holy Spirit to guide your heart in what you should lift up to him in prayer. What is it that has been keeping you from fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit and with the people in this church? Lift it up to the Lord and know that this is what he desires when he calls you. He calls you for your good and he calls you so that you can build his church. Let's pray.